Welcome to Critical Ditto. My name is Stuart Clark. I am running the game and refereeing this bout. In the green corner, we have on my left, weighing in at... I'm not going to guess. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Ali Hill. Yeah, the crowd goes wild as Ali Hill approaches playing the role of Kenny Mullet. By his side, he has his trusty friends. His Dartrix called Bowtie, his Magikarp called Moustache, his Saladic called Hoops, and his Honchcrow called Fedora. And he's sporting an egg, lest we forget. And in the teal corner, we have the magnanimous, the indomitable, David Leversley! The lights go out, the go-go podiums come up, the topless men are there, the Donna Summer's playing. <laughs> <laughs> Hello! I'm David, the heavyweight who likes to point out how camp they are on a weekly basis. And with me here on my team is not only Meditite, Sawaddle, Kabuto, Togekiss, a male combi called Jason, and something... Barbarical! Is that it? God, you've got so yeah. many people following you. Suddenly, the lights go down. Fireworks. Boom! That's right. I should be getting this title shot. Not Ali or David. That's right. It's me. Tom Dale. By my side, I've got Wimpy the Baneeri, Gary the Scroopy, Snorlioni the Munchlax, a Bunnelby. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Don't, Bunnelby's, Bunnelby's new to the team. Haven't haven't really sorted them out yet. Uh, and I'm playing Brandy, and I'm gonna win this win this bout. But first, before I take you guys on, let's talk about the beef I've really got with you guys. Play the tape. Of what happened last time. The tape of what oh, happened last oh, time. You took Stu's segue away from him. Look at yeah. him, he's seething. He's seething. Oh, this is when it gets nasty. This is the Yoko Ono. Sorry, referee. Previously on Critical Ditto. Kenny, you look down at the only train ticket you now possess. S-Class Trainer. Hello, I'm Cassius Flash. You think you're better than Caribbean Blue? It's time that I put you in your place, Cassius Flash. You versus me, Cassius Flash. Bowtie goes in for the peck, but gets far too close. And Lurantis is ready for this and has prepared this buggy blade. The door to the S-Class train lounge opens, and in the doorway is Melissa Mullet. Theo's torn between two very clear paths of action. Chase Enya down, find out what's going to happen with Team Nautilus. Brandy, you need to come with me. Chief Arnold would be very, very happy to hear you of this. Theo concludes that they need to use Meditite's telekinesis to drag Enya back out of the vent. Just as you see Enya being wrenched back, losing her grip, you see her throw a Pokeball down into the vent as she's pulled out. They gave me a volatile electrode. That electrode is now in the bowels of this train's engine. Theo knows that there's maybe a Pokemon that could go down that chute and solve this. Okay, Swaddle. Time to prove it. Honestly, Enya, get a hold of yourself. There's no need for that. One mention of your parents, and you become a harder head than Magmora. I don't get it. They clearly love you. Enya stared into the dancing flames of a small fire between her and her companion. 
Her bean stew lay strewn across the floor, her bowl broken in two where she had thrown it to the ground. Hannah reached over the fire and ladled more stew into her bowl from the simmering pot, careful not to spill the slightest drip. Enya took a deep breath. Hannah, I like you. You're the closest thing I have to a friend around here, but you don't know the first thing about my parents. Hannah's eyes wandered out across the bay to the sea. It undulated slowly, reflecting the red light of the setting sun onto her face. The surf-float slums, the pair called home, may have been as dilapidated as the flotsam and jetsam that washed up on the beach every morning, but that didn't stop the views from suggesting a wider, more beautiful world beyond their confines. I know they're here, which is more than could be said for mine. They want what's best for you. Hannah, please, let's just talk about something else. You mentioned you were thinking of taking the trainer exam. No, Enya. You need to realise what you have, how lucky you are. Lucky? Enya rounded on Hannah. Hannah's resolve melted like a bergmite in the midday sun. You think my parents, funnelling their every last poker dollar they had into preparing for church exams, that for some reason they are yet to pass, is lucky. You think losing our home, possessions, contact with my grandparents, all in pursuit of joining some knowledge-obsessed cult, is me striking gold? Enya stood over Hannah, her slight frame made larger by the shadows cast by the setting sun. They just have a different philosophy on what life is about. Hannah, they are sick people being brainwashed by stuck-up robe-wearing gatekeepers. They're so blinded by a promise of learning hidden truths that they have doomed any hope I might have for a future. Now I am stuck here in a beachside shantytown talking to orphans afraid of wasting a drop of their glorified stock water. Enya's words hung in the air like a coughing smog. Hannah packed up her flask of stew and turned to leave. Tears welled in her eyes. It's clear that you don't want me here, so I'm just going to go before I make you feel any worse. Hannah, wait, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean... I don't know where you used to live, Enya, or exactly how you ended up in the slums, but I do know that someone's future is theirs and theirs alone. You can't always choose your lot in life, but you can choose how you behave. Come on, Litwick. The small pyre burning between the two girls danced and flickered for a second before revealing itself to be a small Litwick. The ghostly candle locked eyes with Enya for a solemn second before drifting off to follow her trainer, Hannah. Without the flames and warming stew, Enya felt the bitter evening chill and the whips of sea breeze almost instantly. Clutching her jacket tightly, she gazed out across the increasingly black water as the sun disappeared. Dark clouds seemed to be gathering over the bay. A tiny shadow appeared on the horizon. A ship? Enya allowed her mind to briefly indulge in fantasy. She imagined a fresh start, ocean air, waves crashing onto her face on the bow of a mighty vessel. When her chance came to escape this place, she wouldn't hesitate. Hannah was right about one thing, Enya thought. The future is mine. We did it, guys. It's been two arcs, but we finally found another character who came from Surfloat Town. Yeah, there she is. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Do you know what I thought there? Hannah reminds me of Mike Tyson. <laughs> what are you trying to say? Hey. I'm amazed that we've now discovered that Hannah's completed the curry decks. Uh, the real twist <laughs> that none of us expected. We don't know where Enya came from. She just ended up in No, Surfloat. but we do know that Surfloat, as well as being a tiny little beginner village, also has slums. <laughs> So, oh, we knew that, but that was before. That was ha Hannah was always from the slums. That was, and they were they were wrecked by the storm. We just skirted over the political and economical inequality of our world very quickly.
We're gonna open with Theo and Enya squaring up to one another. Enya looking like she's trying to hold it together, trying to stand up for herself and fight for a cause she doesn't really understand, but is has a very clear mission in this moment, and that mission is to stop this train. Theo, she stands before you. Lantern, lantern. And her lantern in front of the vent, trying to block your way, trying to make herself look as big as possible, which is quite hard for a small girl. Theo, what do you do? Okay, so girl, lantern, ventilation shaft. The old quandary. Well, Theo has previously said that this is going to be Swaddle's time to shine, to try and do some espionage. But I think, as as Theo's mind and everybody else pointed out, probably after that episode ended, sending a bug into an inferno is probably not the finest strategic decision that Theo's ever made. But you know what is the finest strategic decision? Sending Swaddle out against a lantern. And I think in Theo's mind, Theo's like, let's engage in this fight. But also, if a window opens that we can kind of do something involving that shaft during it, Let's play dirty. We don't have to be ethical in this situation. Theo grabs a Pokeball and shocks at the amount of times that this Pokemon has come out in the last day. Theo goes, all right, Swaddle, it's your time to shine. <laughs> People thought this was a train arc. This is a Swaddle arc. <laughs> Swaddle's so confused. Swaddle? Swaddle? Swaddle sounds so cute. He does. Aww. If only we'd heard it before this. <laughs> We've given Swaddle so many different voices on this podcast. Swaddle. I, I, I assume, just for clarity, I reckon that, Theo, you got all your Pokemon healed up when we were at the medical center. Yes, yeah, so the only Pokemon the only Pokemon that we've talked about that are currently out of action are Barbarical and Jason the Combi because both of those have been knocked out since the fight with Mr. Rhyme. So Theo's team gotcha. is entirely healed up since visiting Robin except for those that were taken out either defeating a Malamar in the greatest moment this podcast has ever known or single-handedly <laughs> defeating a gym battle for Brandy. Whichever one whichever one you want to choose from Theo's almighty team that's the reason why. But there's still four. To be honest, Jason did his bit in Brandy's gym battle as well leaving that opening the gym badge really belongs to Theo yes yes it except, does uh, yes. except it doesn't except I'm keeping it okay. <laughs> okay so it looks it looks like Lantern is readying a thundershock to fire at Swaddle Theo how do you react Renegade. This is Renegade. I feel like I say that before I say anything, because I feel like I'm tearing the game apart every time I make a suggestion of my own. Um, so, I think that Theo remembers that Swaddle is a, is a glass cannon. And maybe not even a glass cannon, just glass. Swaddle is, is glass. Swaddle, Swaddle didn't fare well to multiple assaults in, a, in the Mr. Rhyme fight. And Theo is a strategician. And also Theo has lost all moral compasses today because they watched one of their former friends die. So Theo... Is just like, you know what, I'm not going to just let Swaddle take this. And so Theo decides to use a Will-O-Wisp on Lantern. And I think Theo is like, you know what, I'm going to halve this Lantern's attack. Let's just, let's level this playing field against Swaddle. Amazing. So this sounds like you're trying to create an advantage? I do believe so. You also probably, right next to that furnace, wouldn't really need to kind of do too much. Oh, yeah, it's almost like it's catching fire on its own. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for enabling me, Ali. Well, that's the only way you're going to burn a fish, mate. So. <laughs> if you are a human, Theo, rolling create an advantage, you roll plus cool. Okay, so Theo is plus one for cool. Hey! Ooh, wow! A lovely ten! Theo rolled a six and a three plus a one for ten. Excellent. So on a ten plus, you get to choose two of the following. Take plus one forward or give plus one forward to another trainer or Pokemon. Heal one harm. Inflict one extra harm next time you damage an enemy. Uh, force your foe where you want them or suffer one less harm next time you take damage. Theo, what would you like to 
choose two of those from that. Yeah, one. I mean, I'm going to choose the obvious ones. I feel for a burn, which is to do one extra damage next time and to take one less. Go with that, David. Excellent, excellent flavour work there. Mm. Uh, really appreciate that. <laughs> mm. From a system design standpoint, that is top draw. I'm not here to tear Maybe. apart the system you built, unlike everybody else in this podcast. Maybe David is head game designer with a move <laughs> like that. That felt like you were showing off the system. Maybe. So, David, so what does this what does this will o' wisp look like as you're firing it off at the uh, at the lantern? So, I don't think that Enya even notices the trainer that they're fighting has just pulled out. This, uh, I think we said last time it was candle and powder related, but it was sort of a, a long taper that then there's sort of a powder, sort of a fire combusted at the end and it kind of turned into a sort of wild lasso of fire. And I think that Enya has just completely ignored all of that and not noticing it, she just doesn't see this meteor just surround them all in sort of like a ring of fire and that ring of fire begins to sort of seep a crimson pollen that begins to hit and spit and hiss and it hits lantern. I love the description crimson pollen. That is beautiful. Mm, love crimson pollen. You should, mate. You should write. <laughs> you should totally write. Just stop um, talking about it. Just do it, buddy. Mm, Just write. My GQ profile is at no. <laughs> Enya jumps out of the way of this crimsony polony circle. Not quite as good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> trying, trying to uh, to dodge some of the licks and flames uh, as they dance around the poor lantern, who does take a brunt of this this flamey burn. But Enya sees an opportunity in this. Lantern, if you fire a water gun through the flames, maybe you can scold that Sawaddle and readies to use the flames to their advantage to fire this hot water at Sawaddle, see if they can get something back. Theo, how do you respond? Hide in the very entrance of that ventilation shaft and dodge the attack. Great. So this sounds again like creating an advantage. Yeah, I'm just loving that at the moment. Don't want to have to use swagger at this situation Great. after having okay. cut down the attack. But this... but. I think this is I think this is Swaddle using it this time. Yeah. If it's Swaddle kind of trying to trying to find uh, an enclave where they can hide themselves and dodge this this hot hot blast of water. Yeah. Um so if you'd like to roll plus speed stat for Swaddle. Okay. Speed is plus 1 for Swaddle. So. Oh. Oh, oh so man. So, so what did you roll? Oh, I accidentally rolled so I rolled a 9 plus a 1 so Swaddle got a 10. This is going so well for Sir Waddle. So you get to choose two more advantages to take. Unbelievable. <laughs> you better cash, just please cash them in at some point. Yeah. I just right. don't want Sir Waddle to go down with like six advantages no. just in the bank. Stall. Be a Boromir draw. <laughs> you, you can't kill me. I'm so advantageous. <laughs> I want um, the next three episodes to be Sir Waddle Lantern just locked in this horrible <laughs> Just dodging. Dodge. Dodging. Dodge. The train's exploded and they're just still like, what? Theo and Eddie are both dead in a flaming inferno. And still the fight continues. <laughs> Swaddle is going to go for suffer one less harm. And Again. I'm going to go with inflict another harm because it's an evolved Pokemon. You're just storing up this power. Oh my word, I love this. You're basically like, what's that, stockpile? Is that the move? Yeah, you're just oh, like, yeah it is, isn't it? Yeah. Can I get this right? When Sir Waddle does attack, and if Sir Waddle's attack does hit in some way or shape or form, Sir Waddle will do two extra harm and take two less harm. Correct. Do you know what? I do kind of want this to keep going. I want Sir Waddle to have the most incredible latent power. That is only able to come out if Swaddle is able to charge up for like five turns. Swaddle is it's spirit like, bombing. It's the spirit bomb. Yeah, yeah. It's the yes, sp- exactly. <laughs> okay.
Okay, Enya is getting a little frustrated, but thinks to herself, this is typical of a classic church member, dodging, weaving, using knowledge, not trying to act, but instead trying to think. So she's determined to try and hit hit harder this time, and this time readies a thunderbolt. Thea, what do you do? This is in many ways the way that uh, Thea has always fought with Meditite, with Bide, and with Defence Curl. It's always about building the arena, building the advantages, building the opportunities. So this is very much Theo's... Uh, field of expertise and Theo goes we've set up the situation perfectly Swaddle go for a razor leaf oh gosh I hope this I really do hope this is good okay so this is a kick some frost lass this is a kick some frost lass razor leaf is physical so you're rolling plus fizz yeah so Swaddle um, over time has developed both a plus one attack and a plus one speed so with the extra bonus you've got two physical attack and two speed is that correct yes okay so roll plus two Okay. 2d6 plus 2. Oh, oh my oh! god! <laughs> <laughs> What's happened to Sir Waddle? David, tell everyone at home what you got. So we just rolled 5 plus 6 plus 2. So Sir Waddle has broken the game and has got a 13. Sorry, on a, on a 12 plus, you get to deal an additional harm on top of everything else as well. <laughs> oh! <sighs> so let's work it out. Let's, let's work, work out what you do. Because Lantern doesn't hit you. Lantern doesn't hit you with a 13. So you're a stage 1, so plus 1. Unfortunately, Lantern is a higher stage than you, so that does take it down to plus zero. But it is super effective, so that's another plus one. You then roll your d4, and then you add three to whatever you roll on your d4. So it's plus one, plus three, four, plus your d4. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> so, so Model just rolled a four. Okay, so just to tell you what happens, obviously Lantern is distracted by this wispy, willowy stuff that Theo has already laid around it. So this thunderbolt is way off, way off the mark and actually hits some rubberized vulcan tubing on the side rather than the metal. So it doesn't conduct anything. Enya curses under her breath. But Sawaddle, there's almost this aura around them. In fact, David, please tell us what this razor leaf looks like. So while Sawaddle normally sort of releases maybe five or six leaves into the sort of flurry of the arena, this time around it is like a cosmos of nature has appeared around Sawaddle, who is just kind of ricocheting between these leaves as if this is the ball in a pachinko machine as well as this kind of rhapsodic storm of leaves just flying it's almost like a petal dance except it's not um and it is just bursting everywhere flying everywhere sort of careening off the walls Enya's ducking out the way trying to hide from these sort of flying very sharp bits of foliage Theo on the other hand is so victorious in this moment that Theo is as stood taller than they have ever stood as these leaves just bounce around them and this is truly one of the most terrifying sights that anybody could witness in the sight of the priest that was formerly a battle instructor and in the middle of this maelstrom Sawaddle just sends this hailstorm of leaves at Lantern who is just thrown back against the far wall bounces to the floor and truly looks like a fish out of water at long last. Obviously, that lantern is long, long KO'd. So that did eight damage, eight harm total. Yeah, right? eight, oh, eight harm I mean, total. Lantern has crazy high HP and you one-shotted it. That is impressive. <laughs> the joy of that is Theo won a battle and no one was around to witness yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say that It was so brilliantly epic and no one will believe poor Theo. Theo, as this, um, as this petal dance rain of leaves, which sounds remarkably like the end of the crystal maze, um, <laughs> descends to the floor, each leaf moving out of its blade-like form, returning to a more floppy, leaf-like form and floating slowly down. You see, as these leaves pass by your eyes, Sawaddle start to glow. And this 
aura that was once emanating from it, giving it power, now seems to give it strength as it takes in energy from the leaves, and you see them start to swirl again, but this time they almost swirl into this cocoon around Sawaddle, and the leaves start to form and join into a bigger leaf until Sawaddle itself is cocooned, or should I say swadlooned, together. And as the light dissipates, you see this yellow face, these sullen, frowny eyes, black eyes, an upturned face, and surrounding it is this enrobed green figure with two pointy little e ears on the top, and it sounds like this. Swadloon. <laughs> Swad... Swadloon. <laughs> Swadloon. Both of our mid-tier Pokemon sort of sound like teenagers. But very different teenagers. <laughs> yeah, very, very different. different we've, we've got a very sort of uppity teenager and then a really grumpy one. Well, I mean, Swadloon kind of just looks like a member of the church, like an angry person in a green robe. <laughs> it does! Oh my god, it so does! <laughs> Do you know what's great, though, is that I just feel like Swadloon and Theo, finally, were on the same wavelength, battle-wise, and... <laughs> They had a moment. Their tactics, their tactics were perfect, and Swadloon has evolved into Theo's image. Swadloon got a taste of power and wants more. If I, if I may, for the arrival of Swadloon, I, f I feel like there's a moment of pause before Enya sort of regains posture, and Theo has a moment of witnessing this new Pokemon. And Theo sees this taciturn figure in a green robe, leans down to Swadloon, who isn't used to a lot of affection from this particular trainer. And Theo looks at this Swadloon's face and goes, "I think I finally want a nickname a Pokemon." Lovely to meet you, Hillary. Meditite had seven years of friendship, so <laughs> no nickname. <laughs> no nickname. Wait till Kanan dies. That's what, that's what Theo always says to Meditite. He's like, Meditite, don't worry. As soon as Kanan dies, then you're getting that nickname. In Meditite's Pokeball, Theo just hears a, what the hell, man? What the hell, bro? <laughs> Dude. Do you know what I'd love? Theo to go to that plane where they met all of the previous sort of rebels of the church, and one of those people to just pipe up and go, yeah, my name's Cabbage. <laughs> 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 Theo, as you're having this touching, beautiful moment with Hillary the Swadloon, oh, that feels good to say. You see. Enya behind you, she's collected up her lantern and now looks utterly like she's lost, confused, but she knows she's thrown her Pokeball down and she knows she needs to get out of here sharpish. So you see her just sort of edging up prone against the wall, trying to edge away from, from Euthea, looking as if she's trying to dash off down the corridor while you're wrapped up in this Pokemon evolution. What do you do? Still not even facing her, Theo throws out Kabuto, Meditite and Togekiss and is just like, get her. <laughs> I, I love the idea of just three Pokemon just 
appearing almost in front of her where she was going to dash. Mm. David, what pose is, is each of them forming as we form this little triumvirate of Pokemon bouncers? Enya is about to approach the door when suddenly, with a beautiful, melodic 90s R&B voice, descends Togekiss with Meditite stood upon her back. Meditite kind of looking like... Togekiss! <laughs> Meditite looking like the bouncer of Bergheim. I think you know you're not coming in here, mate. And uh, just as uh, Enya's like, oh god, this is bad enough, suddenly she feels two pincers playing with her hair. (laughs) (laughs) Creepy! (laughs) (laughs) And she just knows. She just knows. She knows what's happening. (laughs) Okay, so she sort of stops and she goes, all right, all right, all right, I know when I'm beaten. What do you want? First of all, you're going to tell me how we get that electrode out of that furnace. And second of all, you're going to tell me what Team Nautilus want with this train. I, I can't do much to stop the electrode from here. The only way you could stop that electrode now is to go down there and, and, and manually stop it exploding. The, there's no way I could stop that electrode, even if I was down there. It's not even mine. I was given the electrode with the task of releasing it. I, I can't do any more. In terms of what Nautilus want here, Nautilus offered me a way out. They offered me money. They said that they, they, they could pay... They didn't give me many details. They just knew that the train needed to be stopped so that they could start their raid in the church car. Something in the lower level. Please, my parents, they, they're they stuck. They're stuck in this church mentality. And they, they keep taking these exams. You you were in the Surfloat Tower, weren't you? What? what why? Why did they keep failing? Enya looks at you. She is so lost in this moment. She thought she knew what she was doing. She thought she was trying to... To, to bring her family out of poverty and, and saw an opportunity. But in this one moment, eyes locked with yours in a similar way that they were in the daycare car, she's just looking for answers. She's just looking for some nugget of truth. Something to make sense in, for her, has been a senseless world for so long. Listen, I'm going to say something to you that I think you're going to find very hard to hear. And then I want you to listen to what I have to say afterwards. I don't want you to run off. I don't want you to get upset. But what you need to hear is something that I don't think even your parents knew was going to be happening. If your parents were trying to join the church, and I I couldn't help think this when I saw you back in that kindergarten carriage, but if they were trying to join the church and they had a child, then they wouldn't have got in. And the church doesn't reveal the reasons why people fail the entrance exam. They're not really that interested in that. But that would have been the reason why parents wouldn't have got in. You you mean they, they let them keep taking the test even though they knew they'd fail? They kept taking their money? The, I don't want to try and justify... Why would they do that? I don't want to... Why would they do that? I don't that? want to try and explain away the church. I, I've left. I, I know that they have problems, but the church takes a lot of money to run. I guess somewhere along the line, they thought that was an easy way to make money. But, but Enya, if you're doing this because you're worried about security and you're worried about finances and about resource, then then I do understand that. And I understand you and your family. I had nothing when I joined the church. And if you just try to do the right thing with me for once, then maybe I can try and get you some support from the Pokemon League. So so you're saying my parents never got in because they wouldn't give me up? Yeah. I, th- I think I've made a mistake. That's okay. Have I made a mistake? Yes, you have. I didn't mean to. I've done... <laughs> Enya, Enya, don't... Enya, don't... I'm really... I'm sorry. Enya, thank you for your apology, but... We all make mistakes, all of us. The reason we learn is because we've understood that we were wrong once before and we want to improve. I'm... <sighs> if you come with me, you have a chance to redeem yourself and be able to fix what you've done. And what you've done isn't irreversible. You've not done anything that can't be changed. Other people have and could. You have the ability to, to, to fix this. People can redeem themselves. I've seen it myself. I've seen it in me. Okay, what do we do? 
if we want to try and stop that electrode, we're not going to be able to send anything down into that furnace, but we need to be able to find a way to be able to stop it. Now, I might happen to have a friend who has the ability to communicate with Pokemon, even at long distance, and get inside their heads. Maybe that's our way of being able to solve it. And otherwise, we just need to prepare ourselves for whatever Team Nautilus has got planned, and you need to tell me everything they have ever told you. So you say this to Enya about your friend and the communing and everything, and she's a mess of emotions right now, but she just looks ready to follow you. So, Theo, where do you go? Uh, Theo takes Enya's hand like a parent holding their child and says, you don't happen to have a way of getting into the S-Trainer lounge, do you? Who's that Pokemon? That's Swadaloon. Oh, no, not you, cow! Get out of here! This is just for the sheep! Oh, what's this? Something's wandered into my block. It's a midsection. It's a midsection in sheep's clothing. <laughs> oh, that's good, Stu. Hello, it's me, the midsection. <laughs> this is from Mattis from Sweden. Ah, oh, hey, Mattis. Hello, hey, Mattis. hello. Sweden. Anyone, anyone know what hello is in Swedish? <laughs> Do you know what, Ali? I was literally just going to chance it, and I was going to go svegen, <laughs> and I just thought that might be hello in Swedish, and I don't know why my brain thought that. Guys, <laughs> it is, it is, it is very simply just. Hey. Yeah, it could oh. be. It okay. Could be. Hey, Mattis. I googled it. It is. <laughs> what does Mattis have for us? Uh, Mattis starts with a lot of praise for the podcast, which I'm not going to read out because, no, I think guys, you're... your heads are huge already. Right. I can see them on my... Can, can that not just not be the midsection? No. Well, thank you, Mattis, for your praise that we will never read because Tom is a dictator. <laughs> I keep it to myself. I like to pretend it's solely for me, the praise. I bet the praise was complimentary of everybody except Tom, and that's the only reason why he's not reading it out. (laughs) Right, to the character. Here we go. I present to you Cassandra Case Clear, a private eye who is investigating the sham gyms by going undercover as a newbie trainer in the flood of new trainers emerging after the current events of the show. His partner is a Kecleon that he will send out to sneak around in its camouflage whenever he visits a gym to see if anything is suspicious. He also owns a shroomish he rescued from a drug dealer that battles when Kecleon is off scouting. While undercover, he dresses like a rather nerdy young man with a white shirt and a green checkered pullover with magenta-coloured hair. If you decide to actively use him, you can decide on a personality for him and feel more than free to bounce ideas with me if you like the concept, because I'm rather fond of him. Well, Mattis, we're not going to bounce ideas off you because that's not how the section works. It's not, it's not, I, I'm not calling you in. So there we go. Cassandra, okay. case clear. Did you say he was investigating the uh, the sham gym? I did say that. Well, rather right. Mattis can said I, that. Can I just invite you to just take a little peek behind the DM screen for a minute? Okay, I open, I open the curtain. Oh my God, Stu, put some trousers on. I don't want to behind <laughs> don't do that. I, I refuse. Don't do that. I will not. I will not put any trousers on. This is this is how it is back here, and you like it or you it. What I invited you back here to say though is that I wish the sham gyms would go away. It was something. <laughs> it was something that I introduced in episode one, thinking this could be a cool concept. And I, it has spun. It spun away from me, guys. I, I, well, I've Stu. lost control of the sham gyms. Do you know why, Stu? Do you know why? Do you know why they spun away from me, mate? Because because Cassandra's just wrapping them all up. He's handling it. I was Absolutely. saying, is that the answer that Cassandra is single-handedly dealing with these sham gyms on your behalf? Because the DM was too lazy to create any narrative <laughs> that would help. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did the, did, any, did any of the players go on, go seeking out a sham gym? Look, Stuart, it has to be put no, right no, in front didn't. of our faces. That's how players. That's how we roll as players. So, what is the way? What is the way that Cassandra Case Close reveals himself 
to the fake gym leader that he's not he's not youngster Cass. He is Cassandra. Case closed. Case clear, Stu. Case clear. <laughs> Come you on. I'm really struggling with this. Really How are you struggling with this very simple name? I don't know. I've got the entire Swedish language in my brain, but I can't fit this one name in. It's crazy. It's crazy. Maybe he has a fit. He literally has a case. <laughs> a suitcase. Oh, yeah. yeah, and he serves them with legal documents. That's how he beats them. He doesn't beat them with like battling or anything clever. It's Kekleon sneaks up with these with these legal documents and serves them. Like we to appear in court on the twenty eighth of June, <laughs> and they're like, "No, I know what he, do- I know what he does. He pretends to be like, uh, he t- pretends to be a massive fan of this fake gym leader, and goes, can I have an autograph?' And then they sign it. Boom! It's a contract. Shut up this gym. Case closed. Case clear. Oh no! What have I done? <laughs> Maybe he gets his own catchphrase wrong just every time because it is just slightly <laughs> more convenient to be the case closed, and every time he's like, "Oh." Yeah, exactly. It's and I think I think his boss is like, "Well, you've closed another case," and then he has to be like, <clears throat> "Can you say if I've cleared another case? Is that <laughs> is that possible?" Because that's, that's not more... what we say. We just say the case is closed. I changed my name by Depol because I thought that it was case cleared. His name has always actually been case closed, and then he moved, <laughs> and he'd never. And everybody where he grew up always used the phrase case cleared. And so when he moved, he was like, "I'm going to change it." And then he came to he came to the big city, and they were like, no, "Nobody's ever said that." He was like, "Oh, it's like <laughs> three thousand polka dollars to change it back." I'm just going to see if so I can make this phrase start, catch he's, on. He's trying to start a new trend. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So how can we fit him into our narrative then? Is he under the pay of the odd father from the last? Uh, midsection Ooh. we did. That, that's clever, Tom, because if we weave together all our midsections, we can get away without actually the Sifloatzels meeting them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So so the midsection is a story within the story. <laughs> yeah, kind, of, exactly. kind of at this point. I think the Odd Fathers, these sham gyms moving in on their te- on the Odd Fathers territory, and we all know that the Odd Father uses first stage grass types, and what does Cass have? He's got that sweet shroomish. He's got a shroomish, mm. who he thinks he saved, but actually is a plant for the Odd Father. So this shroomish is actually working against Cass without realising and informing on Cass to the Odd Father. You know, so Cass has to stay on case and make sure like he closes, it. sorry, clears them. It looks like this case isn't that clear after all. <laughs> oh my god, it's murky. And here's here's another idea I've got. So the reason Cass is going after these sham gyms is because I think Cass is looking for someone... So they took this because someone important to them went missing. Maybe one of their Pokemon was was kidnapped at a sham gym. Yes, I like and that. They keep trying to close Ooh, sham nice. gyms until they find their poke. And what is that poke? A barbarical. Barbarical. Oh my god! Yes, yes, I love that. Nice. Barbarical belongs to Cassandra. Case clear. Thank you, Mattis, for your midsection. That was amazing. If you have an idea, please email us at criticalditto at gmail.com or get in touch with Discord or Twitter. Either way, we love to hear from you. Now. Get out of the get out of the field, you sheep! Back to your pens. <laughs> Come along, come <laughs> by. I gave you a midsection for a for a house for a no, pen. No, no, we don't want talking sheep. Away with you! Be gone! Ooh, Be gone! Welcome, travelers. Seems like you're looking for a story. Well, I got one for you. It involves adventure, friendship, and all hey, sorts hey, of. Uh, Earl, why don't you tell him about that time I stole that big ass melon? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was going for more. Or you could tell him about the time I kicked her ass, Earl. I wouldn't ever tell him. Do I need to get time. my ref gear on? Okay, everyone, shut up. Now come with me as I tell you a story from afar. Hey, everybody, my name's David. I'm the DM for From Afar Podcast. A from Afar Podcast is all about four friends separated by distance, but brought together by adventure. Hope you all stop by and give us a listen. Thanks. Who's that Pokemon? That's Swaddle 
It's SWAT loot. Brandy, you are led to the very front of the train, past crowds of uneasy onlookers, all feeling very unsure as to why they are still being confined to their carriages. Some shout out to Grundle McScrooge, the train guard, as you pass. How long is this likely to go on? I was halfway through a fluidity of the soul class in the yoga car. My children are stuck in the daycare with that awful Mr. Rhyme impersonator. McScrooge snaps his very wide fingers as his executor bashes its enormous neck against the side of the carriage. The windows of the respective cabins shudder, and the hubbub is replaced with a quiet menace that lingers long after you leave the passenger cars. Scrooge takes you through the no-entry access panel that leads into the train head, which swooshes open and shut. Executor stays on the other side, taking up a defensive stance. In front of you is an unbelievably vast control panel, Clearly the controls of the train. No piece of machinery could ever need this many dials, surely. You feel your feet begin to burn hot. The metallic floor beneath you glows a dull orange and shimmers like a hot stove. Stick to the floor pads if you want to keep your shoes, McScrooge mutters. There are rubberized floor pads leading to a centralized circular raised platform that juts from the ground. Stand here. McScrooge positions you on the raised platform and enters a code into a keypad on a nearby plinth. The circular platform grinds into life, and Brandy, you find yourself descending down below the vast control panel and McScrooge into the belly of the beast. From the other side of a reinforced glass tube, you see the furnace. It's like you've stepped inside a giant metallic volcano. Magmatic pools dance and leap, occasionally spewing flaming geysers into the air as the train jolts and shudders. The walls are littered with various turbines that utilize the molten air and spin with a feverish intensity. Small metallic platforms and scaffolding are dotted around, and an army of tiny Meltan, linked together with chains, are performing the arduous task of depositing huge chunks of fuel into the burning cauldrons of searing fire. The tiny steel types battle against the blistering heat, sweating beads of liquid mercury as they continue to toil. Your platform descends into a room at the centre of the chamber. The walls here are also transparent and seem to protect from the heat outside. Three figures stand waiting, and as the circular platform locks into position, they turn to face you. <laughs> Unlike Dr. Evil spinny chairs. Exactly, yes, they're all just waiting. I love that the train has found this legendary Pokemon and been like, let's get him to work in the furnace. <laughs> oh, hold on, Mel- Meltan's not legendary, is he? I thought he was just, like, mythical. Maybe not legendary, but... Definitely rare. No one's seen one because they're all locked in this train furnace. They're all in the train. <laughs> Oompa Loompa Doopity Delton, we have got to fix this big train and... Helton. <laughs> Good it's luck just, trying wait, to ride it's, it's hot. It's hot as Helton.
just to describe a little bit, let's work out who's in this car with you. So, this is our first proper glimpse of Train Chief Arnold, who we know is a large man, but other than that, we don't know a great deal. He's not as wide as Grundle McScrooge. Not as, not as wide as, no one's as wide as Grundle McScrooge. I mean, they are taking up a lot of space between them, though. <laughs> but uh, I've kind of, I've kind of seen, I've, I've started to see Train Chief Arnold looking a little bit like Endeavour from uh, My Hero Academia. He's, he's really, he's really stacked. He's wearing a tank top. I guess it's like an oily train engineer tank top. I feel like he's wasted as a train conductor. He really is. I mean... What do you mean, Ali? Train conductor is a very vital part of the Formian economy. What do you What do you mean? Mate, I'm attracted to this guy. He is. Look at that that beard of flame. So redheads work for you, huh? Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a very high, very high redheaded quiff. Quite a pronounced brow. Strong, strong looking. Coal shoveling strong. You could you could say his deltoids were shovels. <laughs> yes. We also know. Tragically, that his voice is terrible. So maybe Dude. he tried to make it in movies, but oh he was my like, gosh. "Oh, my name is Arnold," and everyone's like, "Oh, if only silent movies still existed, you poor, poor creature." <laughs> yeah, and he's been relegated to the uh, to the train industry. <laughs> he's also wearing very tight jeans. That explains the voice. <laughs> <laughs> If only he took those jeans off, he'd have a lovely baritone. Ah, oh, now you're speaking my language. <laughs> and yeah, a beard, a gingery beard that looks like fire. We also have uh, the assistant called Ruth. She's uh, She's got long, wispy grey hair, blue eyes, quite petite frame. Uh, she's wearing a, a cute hat, which has the uh, the symbol of the train on it, uh, and, a, and a sort of jacket and a scarf, apparently. It's so hot. Ooh, that's interesting. What, okay, so why is, why is Ruth wearing a scarf in what is possibly one of the hottest environments? Maybe she's also poker powered by an ice type and she's uh, constantly cold as a result. She's got like a frost moth lurking around inside. Explains the hair, man. That's possible. (laughs) Yeah, maybe she's maybe she's oddly shivering. Can't really work out why. And then the final person you see, they're wearing a white suit uh, with a yellow cravat, very slight frame, quite a thin face, white hair with like black stripes through it and a sort of judgmental upturned mouth. So these are the three people that turn and face you. David, what one other thing? Is uh, is in this office? You know, like in crime dramas, they have those see-through wall, see-through boards with loads of pictures, and loads of documents on it uh, that they sort of connect all the dots for. It's that, but with any sort of identifying features about any sort of weird goings on on the train. So there's like a picture from the CCTV of like the Esper woman, and there's like a series of just lines just going. Over. It's a series of like random facts connecting with the weird goings on on this train journey together. Excellent, excellent. So there's this sort of conspiracy-esque board. Mm. I think what's also there is a series of screens, because we have seen, post-episode teaser, we've seen Arnold looking at some screens uh, with Helsing Helsing decals on, so I think these are down here as well. So these, ter- these, these chairs swivel to face you, Brandy. What do you do? Oh, I left my swivelly chair at home. Is there another <laughs> one in? I can sit- Should I take a seat, or...? Um, Ruth, do we, do we have any other chairs? Do we have any other chairs down here? Um, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, y- y- you keep... Breaking them with all the relentless um, swivelling, sir. <clears throat> <laughs> well, well, you understand, Ruth, that I, I need to practice my swivel no, and, and, precisely and for moments like you, this. You've become, when we have someone come and I need to look menacing. You've become very good at it, sir, but I'm afraid we do keep, you do keep breaking them. It, it, it's just a well, how, course of... How many have we gone through? Uh, seven or eight. Seven or eight? <laughs> well, I don't have that in the budget. <laughs> exactly, sir. We need to get more Meltan slaves, quickly. The economy of the train won't hold up if we're losing that many swivels. No, no, it's fine because when they break, I throw them into the furnace. Oh, they're fuel. Very good, Ruth. Yes, Yes, that's why why I keep you around, despite your strange uptight attitude and your weird scarf. Very off-putting. Look, can't you be free like me? I'd really rather not be. I'm very happy being so, so uncomfortable. Fine, whatever. Where's Brandy gone? (laughs) Where is Brandy? Oh, there she is. 
Uh, Ruth, do you have my do you have my portable voice changer there? Oh, of course, sir. Here we are. Sorry. Thank you. Yes, this is this is <clears throat> this is very testing on my voice, so I'm just going to switch this on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow! Down into the base. This is me speaking into my vocalizer. I'm Train Chief Arnott, and I believe you have information for us on poker powers on this train. Is that correct? I I feel like your voice changer. Now, don't get this take this the wrong way. I'm just going to be honest because that's kind of what I do. But I'm just saying that. Maybe you're overcompensating a little bit. It's very All low. Right, we, it's very we don't, low. <laughs> you've, you've maybe want to turn it lower. Uh, All right. I, please don't do that. Now you. <laughs> you're making my stomach <laughs> rumble. All right. I'm just gonna. T- I'm just gonna turn it up to like regular voice. There we go. How's that? That's, How's that? Is that good? That's perfect, sir. Well done. Yeah, that's a lot better. I can have a conversation. You're here because uh, you have useful information. The inspection. We we had a hit on one of our one of our Helsing machines here. That, uh, that another person was using poker powers on this train after the first inspection. So we carried out the second inspection, and then you came, you told Grundle McScrooge upstairs, who, who paged me. <laughs> yes, we're very reliant on old technology. He's on my belt, he's speaking to me via the pager. <laughs> Grundle, do you want me to hold you up to Brandy? Oh, I'm sorry, I thought I was in the room. <laughs> From the <laughs> what a strange thing to page to me, Grumble. I'm just going to put you back on the phone. Um, we, we're here because you have information on a Pokemon. Is that correct? Or is that not correct? Uh, yeah, sure. I know I know about the other Pokepowered person. Can I just ask before I get into all that? What happened to the other Pokepowered person who ended up, you know, the Meow Stick, I believe, lady? The lady who attacked me personally? Uh, she's just over there. He gestures out of the transparent office, and you can see the miastic lady is in her own prison container, dangling over one of these um, oh my one of God. these horrible furnace pits. <laughs> yeah, it's very Bond villain there. Oh my word! <laughs> but uh, yes, she's uh, she's just out there. Don't worry, absolutely, very much safe in our in our containment pods. So yes, won't be hurting anyone else. I I must say, as as train chief uh, myself, I must apologise on behalf of the whole train for that experience. Must have been very harrowing. And and actually, on that note, I would like to introduce a good friend of mine who's here with us, reporter Ulmer, and this uh, agendered Cruella Deville type steps forward with a slight frame. Hello, hello, my name is Ulmer. Very pleased to make your acquaintance. Brandy, was it? Yeah, Brandy. Yeah, that's me. Terrible, terrible business with that, um, that meowstic lady. My name is Reporter Ulma, and I work for the Alley. What, what publication does Reporter Ulma work for? The Daily Delegraph. Love it. Love, love, love it. So, yes, so this, uh, this Reporter Ulma says, yes, I, I work for the, uh, I work for the, the Daily Delegraph. And as you can see Reporter Ulma pulling their hand back from the handshake, you can see a small tattoo on their wrist. That looks very much like Team Helsing logo. Cool crossbow decal. I work for the Daily Telegraph, and I understand you are a very promising trainer. You've just won a gym badge, and it must—it must have been hard, Brandy. It must have been hard with that, uh, with the pain that you suffered, and the uh, and the difficulty from your from your injuries. I was just wondering if you would be willing to just grant me a little interview, go into a, a little more detail about how horrible it was to be attacked by a poker powered and. How uh, how scary it was, and how really they are—they are something quite fearful. You know what's really interesting to me, reporter Alma. What's that? You're here thinking that the story is interviewing me about how I was injured by someone with poker powers, and yet there is someone dangling in a cage inside a volcano inside a train, and you're seemingly what? Have you done that story? I'm sorry, some someone. <laughs> The thing dangling out there is a is a, is an abomination. That is a well. You are lucky to be alive, frankly. 
I understand not everyone likes talking to reporters, especially of a publication such as mine, but I am willing to offer you a very significant monetary reward. Now, I don't mind talking to reporters. I love talking to my mate Hedrold. I mean, I say that. I don't love talking to my mate Hedrold. He goes on and on and on. But who I don't like talking to are just awful people. Are you kidding me? What the hell is going on? Arnold, would you mind demonstrating to Brandy what we're willing to offer for this? And Arnold goes, Ruth, would you, uh, would you mind just uh, getting, the, uh, getting the case out? And Ruth turns to the chair and goes, um, would you mind please? Oh, uh, no, that's uh, my job. Brandy, as Ruth gets this case out from uh, from behind one of the many swivel chairs, she opens it up, and inside is a large sum of poker dollars. There is absolutely enough money in there to rebuild your mother's shop, possibly with some spare. And Alma indicates to Ruth to present the case to you, Brandy. She lays it on the table in front of you, flips open the clasps, and opens the case to reveal this incredible sum of money. I don't ask these things lightly. Brandy, all it would take was some some words, some sound bites. Oh God! You just need to talk. You just need to talk about about this horrible <sighs> experience that happened to you. No, it can't be. Surely it can't be that awful to really pile on a horrible creature. Oh God! Right. Okay. So let me talk through Brandy. Going. Oh, this is big. Are, are we inside Brandy's brain? We're inside Brandy's mind palace. <laughs> We're not. She doesn't have one. She does not have a mind palace. I'll be the frontal cortex. <laughs> Brandy's now seen all this money. It's suddenly all gives her a vision of her returning to Surfloat Town, returning to Whiskey and the shop, giving her all the money and it's like a big payback and just the best thing, the best thing possible. And Brandy in a sort of like, oh, I, oh, I really want to take this. And I think is going to, going to take it. She reaches into her kind of pockets and she feels the exo badge on her fingertips, holds it inside her pocket and she just gets this, this pang. She doesn't really know where it comes from and she almost feels at the same time the scar that the meowstic lady left on her stomach in the shape of an S. And it weirdly makes her feel awful, like a snake. That S, like, burns harder than it has done before. Brandy realises that this isn't the way she wants to do it. There are limits to just having money. And it's selling out this poor woman dangling from a cage horribly. It's just so grim that Brandy sort of goes, All right, um... Yeah, I think I've sort of reconsidered this whole thing. I'm not sure I want to dob in a poker-powered person if this is uh, this is the treatment they're going to get. I really, you've you've sent a nice offer there, um, but I'm going to need you to get that woman out of that cage because that is that's that's abuse. That's that's not that's not nice. That's very disappointing, Brandy. I thought you felt differently about this whole thing. Voluntarily coming up here to give us information about a poker-powered. It seems odd that you would uh, you would choose to. Uh deny me like that but that is a shame you find it odd that i'm hesitant when you've got someone in a cage dangling and what's up with these things and she points towards the other pokemon the meltan who look as you said did you say in the thing they were chained chained up what is this train i think the bigger story is me going to my mate hedrold and talking about how awful the inside of this train is and getting you shut down for pokemon abuse and human abuse all of the abuses i'm sorry do you have a better way of running a mega train 
Do you understand the amount of energy is required to hold this thing? And it gets bigger every year. They keep adding more cars. You understand how much pressure that is? Well, I mean, surely the, the answer is not to enslave Pokemon to, to keep the train running. Surely the answer is, I don't know, stopping the train. Letting people know that actually is quite difficult to run. Or, better yet, handing over the train to someone else who's got a better idea. Are you saying I'm bad at my job? you saying I can't run a train. You know what? Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. Oh, no, I'm saying you can run a train. I'm saying you can run a terrible train, though. An evil train. That hurts my pride. Brandon. That's what this train is, an evil train. An evil train? <laughs> it's an evil train. There's something wrong with you. A girl who gets attacked, shot with a psi-beam, and then comes up here preaching to us. It's not right. Why did you come here, Brandy? I don't want any more games. Why are you here? All right, I'm going to be real with you guys, and you may not believe this, but... I am an undercover agent, special agent for the Pokemon League, and I'm here to stop your train from being attacked. That's right, I'm weirdly fighting for this train, which I might not have agreed to after seeing this state of affairs. Give us one reason to believe you. And Brandy, out of the corner of your eye, you see a Pokeball falling. Some, somewhere close, I think, to, uh, to where the Meowstic Lady is dangling. And as that Pokeball falls, you see the flash of light and electrode release from it. And that electrode hits the floor and starts sizzling almost immediately in the heat. And you can see that electrode looking uneasy and almost rolling and sparking a little bit. And it looks unstable. You want me to give you one reason that I think this train is about to be attacked? And that reason is, this train is about to be attacked! <laughs> and I point directly at this electrode looking exploding. Kenny, the sliding door to the S-Class train lounge has just swooshed open in the middle of your argument with Caribbean Blue, and you have locked eyes with your sister, who you've been desperately trying to avoid on this train since you uh, since you spotted that she was working on it, Melissa Mullet. She sees you, eyes locked. She looks shocked. Her mouth is, is slightly agape. Her, her long black hair almost as if she's turned the corner quickly, swooshing slightly in the uh, in the breeze. But Kenny, how do you react immediately? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Kenny? Hi, Melissa. Wh what, are, what are you doing here? Well, I could kind of ask you the same question. You're rounding up people with you-know-what? Um, shall we go somewhere quieter? Might be a good idea. Right, karaoke booth? Sounds perfect. I'd like to play, um... <laughs> <laughs> what, what 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 instrumental track is playing in the karaoke booth of the S-Class train lounge? I love the idea of Kenny just coming in and just going, so I'm just going to play uh, a song, just a random song off the top of my head. It's just Claus's song. Don't be mad at me because I'm changing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I chose it. I don't know why I chose it. It's not even got a pun in it. All of their other song titles have got a pun. I don't know why I chose it. It's got no relevance. But anyway, can you not be mad about the fact that I'm changing? <laughs> <laughs> Great. So this instrumental track is playing underneath the conversation. It's kind of a talky karaoke booth. It's like, why aren't you singing along? Pick up a mic. Just, sorry, going to turn... Join just in. going to turn the volume down. Uh, oh. Player two, it's your turn. Oh, actually, I've turned it... Here comes the verse. I seem to have turned it up, weirdly. Um, <laughs> Duet no, time. No down. Uh, Get down. It's the instrumental. Let me see those Cassius Flash, I've said it so you can't turn it down. You got it. 
You gotta go in, just pull that wire. Pull the wire. I only go higher. I only go higher. Gabby and Blue, you were kind of last episode. I get that. I'm just trying to help you. Okay, there, there's only one thing for this. Kenny asked Magikarp if he could splash a bit of water in the machine so that it just sort of goes... Okay, roll a very low stakes 2d6. <laughs> okay. Oh, God, I can't wait for the two ones. Oh, it's a seven. Okay. Yeah, it works. <laughs> it works, we both get electrocuted. Make success! Why are you destroying me? <laughs> I thought we were friends. We are friends, but I just... My si- Sing soon. No, my sisters... Why am I trying to be nice to this machine? Melissa. Kenny, will you stop with this stuff? What are you doing here? <laughs> What's wrong with you? You're talking to a machine. <laughs> I've been standing here for two minutes. What are you doing? It's a bit of a long story. I don't really know how I ended up here myself, but... Shall I tell you how you ended up here? Uh, you ran away. You ran away from your family, Kenny. Yeah. In a moment of uh, in a moment of real need, you decided that you were more important than your family, and you ran away. That's what you did. What? No, no, I didn't. I I ran away to protect you. Well, well, tell me, tell me what you did. You ran away to protect us because I was causing harm. You saw what I did to Dora. I could I could do that to any one of you if I can't control this. Yeah, we we saw what you did to Dora, Kenny. Did you ever stop to think about what happened after that? Do you ever think that there might be more damage that you done? That maybe you could have helped undo? Our crop, Kenny, was blighted. Ever since that day, we were meant to harvest two days after that, and the entire soil turned. Every plant died. We haven't had a thing to sell since then. The, the farm's kaput. And not only that, Dora's been comatosed since then. What? She's She's been in bed. She's... Supposedly conscious, but no one can find any response from her. We've had doctors round. We've had mother nursing her every day. Nobody can tell us what's wrong. She's just there, but she's not there, Kenny. It's like her body's there, her mind's somewhere else. There were there were lasting effects to your actions, and you could have helped out, but no, you chose to be selfish, and you chose to be scared, and you ran away. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here, and I'm working on a train. You know why, Kenny? Because somebody needs to step up, and somebody needs to make some money for our family. Well, I'm sorry, Melissa. But what if I was there, and I tried to help, and I made it worse? What if, instead of blighting the crop, I lit a fire, and the entire thing burned forever? What if, when I tried to revive Dora, I made it worse? If I can't control this, if I don't have answers, and I'm getting close, then what use am I? I'm just the one that started all of this in motion. I need to be the one to finish it, and I need to be the one to finish it in my own way. Because I was doing nothing at that house, in that farm. Just random moments, bursts, spurts of God knows what. And congratulations, well done you for stepping up. But you have no idea what it's like to hate yourself for 17 years, to wake up every morning and wish you were different, to try to love everyone because you can't love yourself. Congratulations, you're stronger than me. But I am growing on this trip and I'm pleased that you're helping out. Trust me, I'm helping out too. The world is so much bigger than our little farm, our little town, and there were no answers there, but there are answers somewhere. And I think I'm going there. Kenny, I I knew you, and that day I felt like I didn't know you. I feel like you made a decision, a decision for yourself, and I thought we were closer than that.
Melissa, Melissa's comlink starts to beep, and you hear this. You hear this. Uh, it's Bo- it's Bombadum. Bob Bobbington. How dare you? It's Bob Bombington. You thought his name was Bob Bombadum? <laughs> you really think on this high level improv podcast you would ask us for a name and we would give you Bob Bobbadum? <laughs> we gave you Bob Bobbington. Okay. And you will use that name with respect, sir. <laughs> How dare you, Bob Bobbington? Um, Melissa, come in. Have you uh, have you found anything? You seem to have stopped. You've been off comms for a while. Kenny, Melissa looks down at the comlink. She looks back to you, and she seems unsure as to what she's going to report. Kenny, what do you do? This is it, Melissa. I had to do what I thought was right for our family. You have to do what you think is right for our family. The only difference between us is my opinion of you will not change as a result of this decision. I really like that, Alex. Mm. <laughs> I love that. Spicy. Oh. Can we turn this into a roll? That's a manipulate someone if I've ever seen it. Kenny, you slap. You think you're all cute. You think you're all sweet and innocent. I'm here to tell you. I can see it in Kenny's eyes. He's manipulating his sister. I, <laughs> I just love the image of like Melissa staring at the comms and Kenny at her ear, just being like, "No, you listen here. You listen here. Do you want to make a decision? Do you want to make? A I could. I could. I could kill you like I did her. I could do it. It would be easy, like breaking a twig." <laughs> And then I'll go after mother, and I'll go after father, and they'll ask why, and I'll say Melissa told me to send her regards. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, scratch what I said. I want to say what David just said in an Irish accent. Right, Ali. So you are you are rolling manipulate someone here. So you're rolling plus charm. I am a plus one to charm, and I rolled an eight, so got a nine. Ah, oh, so close. Excellent. Do you know what? This is perfect for this one because they will now do it, but you have to do something. For them right now to show that you mean it. Melissa is looking unsure. Kenny looks at her, sees this moment of hesitation and takes her hand and sees what's next to his hand and rolls off Dora's scrunchie and hands it over to Melissa. I didn't mean to take this, but I know she loves it. Maybe she'll take it and remember that I love her too. God, yes! Yes! Give the man a 12! Also, I keep trying to use it as a conduit and it keeps failing, so... It's really... <laughs> so I see you again, Kenny, you evil, <laughs> evil shinx. I see you. Oh, take this worthless scrunchie. Don't try and use it as conduit, Melissa, because it doesn't work. Also, that'll be two poker dollars for it. <laughs> yeah. Kenny, you see Melissa looking at the comlink. Bob Bollington. Melissa? Melissa. 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 Bob basically is that phone jacker character. Another one for our American listeners. <laughs> she looks at it and uh, she just clicks it on. And looking Kenny straight in the eyes. No, nothing here, Bob. And she clicks it off. I don't, still don't know what you're doing. I'm not sure I understand it. Not sure I agree with it. I don't even know what you are, whether you are dangerous. But you are my brother and I stick by my family. So whatever it is you're doing, Kenny... Succeed, because our sister's counting on us. Same to you, Melissa. And there's something else as well. I really need your help in protecting this train. As you say that, Kenny, you hear a strange noise coming from beyond the karaoke booth. You open the door to this chamber. (laughs) Come when Kenny and Melissa open the door, Caribbean Blue and her entire entourage just suddenly like jump away and have to pretend that they haven't been listening to the whole thing in the booth. They're just all just like, it's like locusts. They just swarm away. They're, just, yes, they're like, oh my yes. goodness. The cockroaches yeah. just disperse. We scram. Excellent. Okay, yes, that absolutely occurs. And as this swarm of entourage cockroaches disperse throughout the room, you see Hammer Splat over by the, the ice sculptures. 
and the food, you see a device on uh, on their wrist. It's lighting up and it's buzzing, this intense red buzz. Bzzzed, almost as if it's getting louder and louder. And Hammersplat looks very, very cautiously down at it and just clicks it off and turns around to face the room. Lifts their head, which has almost been overshadowed by this construction-y helmet. And Kenny, it's a face you've seen before. It's the face of Taronius Chunder. Oh. They, they remove the giant hammer from their back to reveal a giant hunchback that was hidden underneath the giant hammer. And they take off one of their sleeves and reveal this giant crawdon arm. And Taronis Chunda looks at you, Kenny, and goes, <laughs> Wah, you thought you were the only one who could sneak into an S-Class trainer lounge? Taronius Chunda releases a toxic wheezing, and gas starts to pour into the S-Class trainer lounge. Wheezing! The Nautilus assault has begun. I see you. I see you reaching for that skip button, that next podcast, putting on a bit of, I don't know, from afar maybe after listening to our promo earlier. But no, you must stop. You must listen. This is important. Okay, don't skip this bit. I have an announcement, everyone, about this podcast. But first, what an episode! Hope you ordered a big old slice of cliffhanger because that's what you were just given. Team Nautilus have been here on this train with us the whole time. For how long? Who knows? I can tell you now, we've finished the arc, and I'm still not sure at what point Nautilus infiltrated. Did they get on the same time as us? Even earlier? Is Hammersplat okay? Burning, burning questions. Good reflect fodder, to be honest. And speaking of reflects, I have, as I mentioned before, a surprise announcement. And it's a surprise, because us Crit Dip boys only decided it a few weeks ago ourselves. This is going to be the final episode of Steam Eruption. Now, I know what you're thinking. We called an arc Steam Eruption, and no erupting happened. Well, I'm sorry, but you know what? It turned into a very long arc, and we didn't want Steam Eruption to be 15 episodes or whatever. This seemed like a good place to split the whole train chapter in two. So we've done just that. Think of this arc less as steam eruption, more steam erupting. Steam about to erupt. Steam bubbling. I don't know. Look, when we named it, we didn't think it would be as long as it became. So next episode, we will be bringing you the first episode in a brand new arc, picking up directly where we left off. And that arc is called Sky Attack. Boom! And I can promise there is an attack and it has something to do with the sky. You'll see. You'll all see. So, next time, new arc, Sky Attack. And, oh, everyone, it is an absolute doozy of an arc. I would also like to apologise for the somewhat subpar audio of myself and David. As always, we're doing this over the internet and various internet speeds and technological problems can occur. 
Think of the uh, noise-disrupting Wisma from a few episodes ago sort of pervading the whole train arc. Maybe evil Wisma is a Nautilus spy on this train that came aboard with Tyronius Chunder. Whatever story you want to tell yourselves to, you know, excuse our poor audio. I do apologise. We won't be doing a reflect at such short notice, so please save your questions till the end of um, Sky Attack in approximately... Ooh, February 2021, maybe? Yeah, it's long. Soz. Anyway, thank you ever so much to Michael Sands, the creator of RPG Monster of the Week, the tabletop role-playing game that we have hacked for this show. Please check out our Discord for more details, as we've uploaded unfinished documents there that explain our system in greater depth. Thank you also to the amazing YouTube channel of Glitchek City and the equally brilliant Braxton Burks and the Material Collective for their albums Kanto Symphony, Johto Legends and Time and Space. Thank you to the creators of Pokemon, Junichi Masuda and Satoshi Tajiri. We have no association with Game Freak Nintendo or the Pokemon Company. We are not-for-profit and fan-made. And final thanks go, as always, to my pals and yours, Tom, Stu and David. Please leave us a review on wherever you get your podcasts, follow us on Twitter and or join our Discord. And as always, go and be the very best, like no one ever was. In other words, just be yourself. I'm not taking orders from this talking pig anymore. Sorry, Animal Farm. I was going for Babe, but sure, you can take it. <laughs> Four legs, good. Two legs, bad. Shows our frame of references, right? Ali went for Animal Farm. The, the communist dystopia, I went for Babe. The fascist dystopia. Think about it.